This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. Open your Bibles to Genesis 1. We are studying Genesis 1 through 11, chapters 1 through 11. Uh, we, early in the life of the church, did a series on chapters 12 through 50. So we're not going to repeat that because many of you have already been through that. Maybe we'll post that link on the city or something. So if you want to finish the book, you can. Uh, they were, we did those a very long time ago. But today we are still in Genesis 1. So this is the third message. And in the first two, as we looked at creation, we saw that God is worthy as creator. He's worthy of our worship. And we took some time just looking at how God is distinct from us, different, how we see that really in the very first verse of the entire Bible. And then last week, we walked through all six days of creation and read of the day of rest as well. So we walked through those. You can hear those messages on our website if you would like to, or you could subscribe to the podcast and just get it delivered to you um, in your uh, inbox if you'd like to do that. So at any rate, that's what we did last week, and we saw that God is worthy as creator, worthy of our trust. We saw how God, simply by speaking, created all that uh, there is, that, uh, that there's an announcement, and God said, and then there is a, a commandment, let there be, and then there is an affirmation, a report that says, and it was so. So as simple as God speaking, he can create something out of nothing. And we talked about how that would have been tremendously encouraging uh, to those who were in the wilderness, having just come out of Egypt, about to enter the promised land. And it's certainly encouraging to us because we all have battles in our lives. We all have challenges. We all have impossible situations. And to know that our God uh, simply speaks and it is so, to know that power is a tremendous comfort. Today what I want to do, we, we looked at all seven days, but today I want to go back because I didn't develop this, and look at the sixth day, the sixth day. So we're going to primarily look at verses 26 through 31, but start back in verse 24, because that's where the verse begins for this day. This is God's word. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was all, that it was good. Verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree uh, with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. 
And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Let's pray. Father, we, well, our minds are blown when we think of what you've done in creation. It is beyond our comprehension. When we see, when we consider all that you have created, the expanse of the universe, the galaxies beyond uh, human sight, and when we see the intricacies of, uh, of a cell, of a human eye, when we see how our bodies work, when we see the detail, uh, Lord, we are just blown away at the expanse and at the intricate detail as well, that you are a glorious creator. And Lord, thank you for granting us life and creating us. And we pray that as we look at this text today, you would show us the great uh, work you did in creating humanity. And Lord, show us the Savior, the great work you did in redeeming humanity through Jesus' death and resurrection as well. So open our eyes, Lord. I pray that you would encourage those who are discouraged. I pray that you would give a sense of faith to those who feel they lack purpose. I pray that you would give substance to those who feel meaningless. I pray that you would just reveal your greatness and your calling to us and help us by grace step up and by your power and your spirit walk out the calling you have given us on this earth. Speak to us now, Lord. We are listening. Give me grace to declare truthfully your word, which is truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's something unique happening here in uh, versus every other day of creation. Um, here we find the most thorough explanation of what God has done. Day six, there's far more detail than any other day. There are words that are repeated. The pace of the text slows down a bit. And uh, I want to walk through these verses and see what we learn about God's creation of humanity. The last two weeks we've talked about what do we see about God in creation, and we're still going to do that today. The Bible is about God. We're always going to speak about Him. But I also want to look at what is the purpose of humanity, Uh, because our purpose, I believe, at least in a rudimentary basic level, is revealed right here in the text that we just read. And here's the first point that this passage, verses 26 through 31, make. It's simply this. We are created by God. I mean, that is simple, but that is profound. We are created by God. God's creation of humanity is emphasized in this passage. Look at, uh, first of all, the shift in language. Verse 24 is where he's uh, creating all the living creatures. Let the earth bring forth living creatures. That's normally how it's communicated. Let there be light. Uh, Let the earth bring forth living creatures. But in verse 26, look at the change of language. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Here we have God speaking to himself. Here we have God deliberating. Here we are drawn into the divine counsel that God is speaking to himself. We already have God represented as spirit in verse two. The spirit of God was hovering over the face of the earth. We have God the Father saying, let there be light and creating. And as we read on in the Bible, we'll see Jesus, the son of God, 
uh, three beings, one essence, a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, each fully God, uh, yet each different in function. One essence, God is one, one essence in three persons, and here he is deliberating, speaking. He's not just saying, let there be, but he's saying, let us make man after our likeness, and he emphasizes the creation of man in particular. Look at verse 27, three times he mentions that he created us. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. He's drilling a point home. He's drilling a point to the first readers who lived in a world where uh, their identity was, uh, was, was uh, communicated in all kinds of uh, mythologies about various gods that created in differing ways. Um, but he's saying, no, God is the alone God. The God of the scripture is the one who made us. We're drawn into his divine counsel to listen and to listen to him. And in the verse 20, first 25 verses, it's been all about how God created uh, the various parts of the universe. And now this is a slow, uh, detailed uh, creation of humanity. That's the core truth about you today. The core truth about you today is that you are created by God by a loving father, by a God of all power, by a God of all wisdom, by a God who is personal, intentional, meaningful, and purposeful, and he created you. You are not the result of chance. You are not random. That there is no mysterious, you're not like the mysterious result of something that occurred over long periods of time by chance uh, in a universe that is devoid of God. No, we live in a universe that is created by a personal God. So you are not random. You are created with purpose. Unless we think, well, that's just Adam and Eve. God doesn't, I, I get that God had a purpose for Adam and Eve, but what about me? Well, the psalmist uh, celebrates the creation of humanity as well. Last week we saw, we, in our time of singing, we read Psalm 148 and we saw how God uh, God created everything that is and calls all of creation to worship him. Well, the psalmists also celebrate God's personal creation of us. Consider Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. This is what it says. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well celebration of God saying, Lord, you, you created me intimately, intricately. You were involved knitting me together. Yes, there's a biological function going on, but it's not a biological function uh, that just sort of takes place on its own, uh, separate from the hand of God. This, the psalmist says, I am here because of the hand of God, created by God, not just Adam and Eve. We are created by God. If there is no God, and if you are merely the result of billions of years of progressive development from a primitive life form, then I ask, what is your purpose? Why are you here? If there is no God, what is the meaning of your existence? See, it doesn't, there's no more basic question than that. What's the meaning of my life? 
Why am I here? That is the most basic philosophical question that one can answer. And the Bible answers it in the very first chapter, 26 verses in. Well, in verse 1, we meet the Creator. But 26 verses in, we find out that we are created by God. If we are not, if there is no personal Creator, then just pick a purpose for your life. Select a meaning. Any, any is as good as any other. Pick a reason to live. Listen, if there is no personal God that creates, I totally get the philosophy of nihilism, or some pronounce it nihilism, either way. I, I get that. I, I, I don't believe it, but I respect the logic of nihilism. Nihilism is a philosophy of nothingness. That's what it means. It means nothing. It means nothingism. And nihilism the philosophical nihilism teaches this. It means that there is no intrinsic meaning to life. There is no God. There is no creator. So there is no intrinsic meaning. There's no intrinsic value. There's no inherent purpose to our lives. I, I don't respect what it leads to. I mean, it leads to anarchy, so I don't respect any of that. But I, I appreciate the integrity of that worldview. Because that worldview makes a lot of sense. If there is no God, there is no personal God, then there is no overarching meaning to our existence. If we don't believe in the creator God, if we don't know him, if we don't learn of him from the scripture, then you're left with there is no meaning, there is no purpose, or just select your own, create your own, make your own up. It leads to hopelessness. It leads to despair. But the first chapter of the Bible shouts at us that our lives are filled with meaning, that we are created with value, that we are created for a purpose. God, God paints a coherent meaning and purpose of our lives. And it begins with this. We are created by God. That's the first button on the shirt. That's the first domino in the Bible. It begins there the very personal God, the Father who was loving the Son before the world began, a Father of love who is expressing his love to his Son before there is a creation, John 17 tells us, this loving Father created us with meaning, full of meaning, full of purpose. We are created by God. So that's your core identity, created by God. Secondly, we are created in God's image. Look at the language, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Then again, in verse 27, God created man in his own image, in the image of God. The words image and likeness, it's probably not worth splitting hairs. They're both used in the scripture later, and they seem to be very similar, so I'm not going to try to nuance their difference. It means that we are made like God. We are made in the image of God. We are not God's. Uh, this would have been different than some stories, but that ancient and modern. We are not gods, but we are created in his image. We are created in his likeness. What does that mean, that we are created in the image of God? This, this message is a bit uh, philosophical, I understand, to start with. Um, but I'll try to make some very tangible applications to this. But we need to, we need to think about this. 
this is the Bible's thoughtful, and, and uh, we need to uh, sometimes more than others put our thinking caps on when we, when we come to church. We always need to have our thinking cap on. Never check your mind at the door. Always evaluate. Always read. Be a good Berean. Always study. Uh, but sometimes more than others, the, the Scripture calls us to think uh, big picture and philosophically. So here is, what is the image of God? Well, there's probably at least three different ways to attack that, and I think they're all, uh, I think they're all accurate. One is to say that we are the image of God means we, are, we resemble him. So the first idea is resemblance. We resemble God. Have you ever, uh, have you ever met someone? One of, the, one of the things I love about my role, uh, I love so many things about what I uh, get to do with you because it involves you, but one of the things I love about my role is frequently when someone has their parents visit, they'll introduce me to their parents. Matter of fact, I sat down here and talked to, met someone's parents a week or last week or it all blurs, last week or two weeks ago, I don't remember, but, uh, but they'll oftentimes come up and say, hey, I want you to meet my mom and dad, they're visiting from whatever. And not always, but sometimes if I know the person well, I see things. I'm like, oh, your dad laughed and it, sat, it was just like you. Or your mom did that thing, that facial expression that you do. And when your mom did that thing, I've never met your mom, but I saw you in your mom. And it's not that your mom's like you. It's not that your dad is imitating you, that he heard you had this really great laugh. Oh, ho, ho. and so he kind of decided, oh, I'm going to be like my son. That's not what happened. It's nothing like that. Or, wow, you're like super tall. I see where you get it from. Uh, you know, your dad bumped his head on the lights on the way in or whatever it is. I see what it's like. Or you're, you know, you speak the same way. The cadence is the same. And I look at it, you resemble your dad. That's not always the case. But oftentimes, I meet people's parents and go, oh, that, that explains it. Uh, I don't mean that bad. I mean, that explains it. <laughs> you're as crazy as they are. No, I didn't mean that, but... But you resemble them. There is a resemblance. There is a likeness. So there's a, there's a sense in which this is true. Think about what we've read so far in Genesis 1. What do we learn God is like? And we see that in humanity. We see the image of God. For instance, God is intelligent. God is rational. God is reasoning. God is thinking. God designs and brings order because he is rational and thinking. And so we have the ability to think. We have the ability to reason. We are intelligent in a way that inanimate objects are and in a way that the rest of creation is not. And for those who want to elevate the roles of the animal kingdom and put them on par with humanity, someone's going to point out an article about how the dolphins have greater language capacity than a seventh grade boy. I don't know. Something, somebody's going to tell us something like that. But Flipper is not writing symphonies, okay? <laughs> Flipper didn't design the Apple Watch. Flipper can't read a menu and bake a cake by putting the ingredients together. So I know Fluffy is really smart, and when you call him, he comes. Uh, that's instinctual. That's not reasoning. He doesn't have the ability to think and reason like a human does. And so we are in the image and likeness of God in a way that the animal kingdom is not. Another one is humans communicate. Look at verse 28. And God blessed them and God said to them. God doesn't speak to any of the other creation. It doesn't say, and God, you know, it doesn't say God made two great lights. And then God said to the sun, shine on brother or something. It doesn't, doesn't say God's not speaking to the planets. God's not speaking 
uh, to the vegetation, having conversation with the trees. But humans have the ability, so I'm just getting this from the text, humans have the ability to communicate. Part of the likeness in God, uh, with God, is that we communicate. God appreciates a moral and aesthetic goodness or beauty. He says at the, verse 31, he saw everything he made and it was very good. And so God has the ability to see aesthetically and recognize beauty in a way that a bird cannot. And so he, he realizes what is good, what is beautiful. He has evaluative capacity. He said it was very good. Now, a dog can say, I like that food, and I don't like that food, but a dog can't evaluate uh, like, a, like God does. God makes evaluative judgments about what is aesthetically good and what is morally good as well. So, we resemble God, family resemblance. We're in his image. We have the ability to, uh, to appreciate what is good. He's creative. He makes he creates the light, he creates the day, he creates the vegetation, he uses a palette of glorious colors. He creates all the colors, that's where we get our colors from. And so he is, uh, he is creative and, and we have creative ability as well. We create in all the ways I just described, uh, whether it's creating technology, whether it's writing a symphony, or whether it's creating a cake from a recipe, as I mentioned. Those are all examples that we create as well. I'm going somewhere with this. It needs to, we need to think about what are all the ways that we image God in terms of resemble him and his, his attributes in this way. Um, uh, he, is, he is moral. God, God knows the difference in right and wrong, and so do we. Man is righteous before the fall, so he's holy like God. He's morally uh, upstanding. He's morally pure and righteous at creation. Now, after chapter 3, that changes but we still know right and wrong from, uh, from God is where we get that. We're being conformed to the image of Christ so that we're becoming more and more in his image. So once we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes in us and begins to change us little by little so that we become more and more like the God who has, who has uh, saved us. And so we begin to resemble him more and more in a way a lizard will never resemble God, in a way that a mountain cannot uh, a mountain can show the glory of God's creation, but a mountain cannot resemble the moral, creative, rational, communicative aspects of God. So we resemble God. We are creating in his image in a way that no one else, or nothing else rather, in the first 25 verses are created. Secondly, we're created in the image of God in a relational way. These are all going to start with our resemblance, relational. Relational, these are terms I'm, I'm borrowing from uh, John Collins who writes about Genesis 1, but relational as well. We have the capacity to relate. God is triune. Verse 26, he says, let us make man in our image. So he is communicative and he is relational and we are as well. The Father, Son, and Spirit exist in an eternal loving relationship and man is created with the capacity to love and have relationship as well, starting with God. Verse 28, again, God said to them, God is giving in verse 28, a command, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. God, subdue it. God is giving a calling to humanity, a responsibility. As we go into chapters two and three, we're gonna see that God and man commune. 
that we have the ability to be relational, to commune together, to communicate with God. God is spirit, the Bible says. And we have a spiritual, uh, we're spiritual in nature as well. We're spiritual and physical. We'll look at that next week. But we are spiritual. And so we have the ability to spiritually commune with God. And one day we will commune with him face to face, embodied in a spiritual body, but in a body, uh, in, in in the new heavens and new earth. But we have the ability to commune. God didn't just make one person as well. He created them, verse 27, male and female. So as we're going to see, he provides a companion for Adam. And so there's a relational dimension there, certainly in marriage, that there's a companion, a relational, a communicative. God God is a relational being, and we're created to be relational beings as well, not just in marriage, but with others uh, as well. So humans have the capacity to commune with God, to relate to one another, so we are relational beings. That's the image of God, uh, in a way that uh, animals or are not, in a way that uh, inanimate creation is not. And lastly, we are representative. We bear His image. We are created to have. What does He say? Dominion, verse twenty-six created in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the livestock and all the earth, and every creeping thing. So the first thing he says after saying creating in our image is that we're given dominion. Dominion means rulership, uh, oversight. We're in charge of the creation. So there's six days of creation. The last created being is, is uh, humanity. And humanity is given dominion over everything that else that is created, dominion over the birds, over the fish, and over the animals. Well, that's like God. God is the ruler king. He has dominion over all, and he delegates responsibility to us. So we have dominion in a delegated way, but that is part of our being in his image. We are created in his image, and how are we to function because we're created in his image? We're to rule. We're to rule, we're to bring order, we're to oversee the creation. So this is the starting place to really understand our purpose. We are created to bear his image, to commune with God, to be like God, to think like him, to relate to others with him as he does, to rule as he does, at least to have dominion in our little world. We all have a little world that we have dominion over. So if you're a student, you're a middle school student, I took an unfair swipe at seventh grade boys, so now I'm gonna honor you guys, uh, and you're smarter than any dolphin I ever saw, by the way. Um, But God created the dolphins as well with a porpoise for their lives, so, uh, but. (laughs) So, if you're a middle school, a high school student, you may feel like, well, what am I to have dominion over created in God's image? Well, you've got a bedroom, or maybe you share a bedroom, but, so then you have co, your co-regents with your roommate, your brother or sister, but you, you, have, you have a place to rule and to delegate it under your parents, delegate it under God, so there's a double delegation, but that is your, your area, that is your domain, that is where you are called to bring order, that's where you're called to subdue, that's where you're called to work. Uh, you're a student. So you have work responsibilities as a student. You may not have a job, but you, ha- uh, but you have, that is your job, is you're a student. And so you are called to have dominion over the responsibilities, the assignments that you're given. You are given the capacity to rule, to oversee, to order, to create, to manage. No one else does that for you. That they shouldn't, uh, that your parents shouldn't be doing your homework for you. That's what you should be managing and doing. 
So we all have an area, maybe it's your home, maybe it's your business, maybe you have civic responsibilities, you're uh, you know, on the board at the, of the PTA or of the Homeowners Association, or uh, maybe you sit on some other corporate board, or maybe you manage in the workplace. So we all have spheres of influence where we're called to exercise dominion over the created order. So God's image is affected by the fall. Now in chapter three, they're gonna fall, they're gonna sin, Adam and Eve. God's image is affected by that, but we are still in the image of God. Even after the fall, we still bear the image of God. We're not a perfect reflection of God, like Adam imaged God, reflected God accurately. We don't do that because our minds and our wills and our hearts are are sinful and bent away from God, but he's redeeming us, changing us along the way. But we don't, we don't uh, res- reflect him perfectly, but we still do reflect him. If we get this, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, if we get this, uh, it'll change our lives. It'll cast a vision and a purpose We won't just meander waiting for the next thing. We will have a real vision for our lives that God has given us. Our lives will be changed because of our purpose. It changes the way you view your chores. I mean, shout out to the eighth grade, seventh grade boys again. You're not just cutting the lawn, you're subduing the creation. That's what it says, verse 28. That's the command. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have, have dominion over the fish of the sea. So it's not just chores, it's subduing the earth. It's, I'm all about Genesis 1, 28. Chores are bringing order, that's God. He takes chaos and he brings order to it. Chores aren't just, well, I mean, there are things we have to get done. There are things that enable us to serve others. Our chores uh, bring, help us serve our, our other family members or our guests that may be coming. So chores are a way to serve others, but they're also a way to image God. They're also a way to reflect who you are. They're a way to extend God's dominion. Your job is not just so that you can make a paycheck uh, and that you can just use that money uh, for God's glory and, and for your necessities and your needs. But your job itself is a way of exercising dominion. Your job itself is a way of of uh, being fruitful. We, we often talk about success, but the Bible talks about fruitfulness, bearing fruit. That's where you bear fruit. Your marriage, your marriage is, the goal is not just to get along. The marriage is, the goal is to image God as those who bear his image and you have a covenant of companionship with your spouse. The New Testament, after the fall, tells us that we image God in a special way, that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, that the very heart of marriage is to represent God and to represent the gospel to a lost world. Your friendships, imaging God. When you communicate, imaging God. When you are selfless, take an interest in others, imaging God. When you speak, imaging God. When we pray, we're communing with God. He spoke to them, they speak to him. We're we're imaging God in that way. Our witness, when you create, when you create, you are bearing likeness to God. When you create a spreadsheet, you are bearing God's likeness in some way. When you create dinner, when you create a business plan or a sales campaign, when you write a song, you're 
in God's likeness. When you decorate a bathroom, you are acting in God's likeness. When you're playing with your children, you're part of being fruitful and you've already multiplied, but creating the multiplying of the children so that they they go out as image bearers and gospel proclaimers to this world. When you lead a family devotion, you are Uh, You are leading the next generation to fill the earth, to have dominion, to train them, to know their creator, to root them in their purpose created by God for his glory. It's not just when you're praying or having family devotion. It's when you're organizing the sock drawer or doing the spreadsheet or whatever you are doing, organizing the cabinet, wherever you are bringing order, listening and praying for a friend whose life is hectic and out of control, you're helping them see God, the God of order, the God who created them. When you evangelize and whatever, in these ways, we are imaging God. God wants you to see that he has a loving purpose for you and he wants, to, he wants us to live with a sense of meaningfulness in whatever we are doing. Your life is not an accident. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're created with the capacity to think, to love, to communicate, to create, to appreciate beauty, to commune with God, to take dominion because you were created in his image. But the impact is much greater than what I'm called to do. We could all get very excited about our vision and our purpose and walk out of here just kind of like I'm special kind of a thing. But it's much greater than that. Because when we understand this truth that humans are created in the image of God, it changes how we view others. It changes how we view other people because there is a dignity about every human on the planet because they're created in the image of God. Listen, whether they recognize their creator or hate their creator and are running as fast as they can from him, they still bear the image of God. It's broken, it's distorted, They may be trying to cover it up and deny it in every way they can, but they are created by God to know him. They're created with a purpose. They may be running from their purpose, but they're created in the image of God after the fall. And we may think, well, wait a minute. That's just pre-fall. Well, here's a couple places where we see that. Genesis 9. Genesis 9 is where Noah... Uh, it's after the flood, and this is, this is the command, the penalty for those who murder. In uh, Genesis 9, 6, it says this, who, God says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. He's saying the person who sheds blood should have the ultimate penalty ma- paid because they have shed the innocent blood of someone made in the image of God, post-fall. Or think about this. We say, well, I'm not murdering people, so that doesn't really apply to me. Listen, James uses this as an application for sins that are far less than murder uh, in their effect, sins of the tongue. This is what James says in James 3. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So whether we're murdering people or whether we are speaking evil of people, verbally, on social media, behind their back, on Snapchat so nobody else can see it, on Facebook where everybody can see it, when we are speaking, cursing, speaking ill of others, we are doing something that offends God. We're doing something that offends them. Oftentimes we just look at the horizontal sin against people. 
but the Bible says it's a sin against God because that person is made in the image of God. And so we sin vertically as well. That's why murder is wrong, because someone is being killed who is made in the image of God. By the way, that's why abortion is wrong. It's wrong because it is taking a life that is created, knit me together in my mother's womb, Psalm 139, taking a life uh, 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 of an image bearer of God. And whenever I mention a topic like that, I want to be clear that there is also forgiveness for any woman in the room that has had an abortion or any man in the room that has been party to one and encouraged one. So there is forgiveness. We live under the blood of Christ. His mercies are new every morning. But it's a grievous sin because of Genesis 9, because of the image bearer is killed. That's why, by the way, racism is wrong. Racism is not wrong because, man, we're Christians. We should be nice. Let's just be nice. Let's just be really sweet and kind. It's not just because we need to be nice. It's because I don't care what the person's race is, he or she is created in the image of God, just like you and I are. That's why racism is evil. That's why any race that thinks they are superior to another race, that's why that is at its core, not just bad politics or in today's culture, just kind of unseemly behavior. It's wicked because it is judging someone that is created in the image of God as less than you and I are created in the image of God. That's why the church must be about racial reconciliation. Ultimately, uh, lots of reasons. We certainly want to reflect the kingdom of God. We certainly want to reflect heaven. But ultimately, because we're making a statement, not just about redemption, that God saves all kinds of people, but that God creates all kinds of people in his image as well. So it's both a creation act and it's a redemption act for people of different races to join together in the gospel. That's why racism is wrong, because people are created in the image of God. That's one reason, not the only, but one reason why viewing pornography is wrong. The woman on the screen is not a piece of meat. The woman on the screen is someone created in the image of God. And she may be running from that because of victimization in her life, because of her own personal choices, but she's created in the image of God. She's created to commune with God. She's created to, uh, she's created to uh, think and act and create and live her life for the glory of God. And so it is wrong for a number of reasons, but it's wrong to objectify someone sexually because they are created in the image of God to be joined to one person sexually through marriage. And so that's why it's wrong, created in the image of God. It's why we should respect people, even unbelieving people, even people opposed to the gospel. Not because, again, we're just called to be nice, but because everyone has a lingering, they're creating the image of God. There's a lingering reality there. And that's why they deserve respect, and dignity, even when they're acting unrespectably. I'm not saying there should be no judgment of sin. I'm not saying that civil authority shouldn't punish evildoers. The Bible's all about, makes that very clear. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying everyone 
is created in his likeness even when it is sometimes hard to see. And we, if we realize that, it affects not only how we go about our daily lives, but it affects how we interact with every person on the planet. Number three, and I'll move really quickly here through these last ones. We, God, we are created by God. We are created in his image. We are created as male and female. I'll have more to say about that when we look at Adam and Eve but uh, in the next chapter because it talks about them there. But in verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So he created man and he created man, he and he created them, male and female. So the idea of gender is not just a cultural idea. When you say, well, manhood, womanhood, that's just sort of determined by place and time, where you live, how you grew up, that's all culturally imposed. No, the first page of the Bible tells us that gender is the creative work of God. Gender's not up for grabs, we don't determine our gender. God determines that, and, and he saw it as very good from the beginning of creation. That's why we want to understand gender from God's point of view. If we look to the culture to tell us gender, cultural mores, cultural standards of gender are always moving. It's a moving target. But the very nature of gender is not a moving target, biblically. We're created as male and female. I'll talk about that a little bit more when we look at Adam and Eve. And I'm going to teach a series on sexuality uh, and gender uh, coming up where I want to address a number of issues uh, like this. Um, but at this point, I just want to point out that we are created male and female. We are created equal. There is equal value, equal dignity, equal worth. Let's make that very clear from the text. He created male and female in his image, and that's why sexism is wrong. To say that, to say that one gender is dominant over the other, either male or female, to say that one gender is more valued by God is wrong. It's wrong. Why? Because God created male and female in his image. He created them. But it's also wrong to say there is no distinction. There is no distinction between male and female. That's equally wrong. Because he created, it doesn't say he just created people, he created them in his image. It says he created them male and female. So to say that one gender is superior in value, dignity, or worth is sinful. But to say there is no distinction, man is a woman is a man is a woman, to advocate some kind of androgyny where there is no gender distinction by virtue of creation is equally wrong. Created with equal value, equal dignity, equal ability to subdue the earth, to have dominion, to communicate, to think, to create, all of this equal in image bearing, but distinct in role. We're going to see that as we go through. And I'll Talk more about that, and I'm going to, again, like I said, do a series on some of those things. We are created, fourthly, with a blessed purpose. Look at verse 28. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, of the heavens, rather, and of every living thing that moves. 
So what is he saying there? He's given them a purpose. He's called them to be fruitful. They're given a job to do. They're to go have some babies. They're to populate the earth with image bearers who will know and love and serve God. They're to subdue the earth. They're to take dominion. And we're going to look at work in the next chapter. And what does that mean to work and keep the garden? So we'll look at the nature of work. Uh, They're to bring order as God has brought order. They're to bring life. They're to bring care and stewardship of the earth, which is the Lord's All of creation is under their leadership. They are over all the animals. They are over all the plants. They are to rule as God's under rulers. This is all part of what they're blessed to do. They're blessed in in their marriage. They're blessed to raise children. They're blessed to subdue creation by bringing order. They're blessed to work a job. They're blessed to create. We all are. We're blessed to create a product. We're blessed to research, to sell, to teach, to serve. Whatever you do to be fruitful in your calling, it's the blessing that God has given us. He gives us a purpose, and we want to be gripped by this. Lastly, God creates with provision. I love 29 and 30. God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree and you shall have them for food. So is, is the Bible teach that we all have to be vegetarian? Man, that would be really a tr- struggle for me. But being under the new covenant where God told Peter to kill and eat and he could eat pork and everything, that's my life first. But, um, <laughs> but no, I don't think the point is, I don't think the point he's saying that you, is that you can only eat a salad. I mean, if you choose to do that, I don't mean to mock it. If you choose to be vegetarian, uh, you are free to do that. But I think what he's communicating is that man needs vegetation to live, and God is the creator of vegetation. It's not, it's not a dietary statement primarily. It's a statement of provision. You need food to eat, and behold, I give every plant yielding seed. God not only creates humanity, God not only creates them in his image, God not only creates them male and female, God not only creates them with a purpose to multiply, subdue, to work, to be fruitful. He not only gives them all that, but then he says, and I'm going to sustain you in it all because the plants I've given you to eat. First week we looked at our creator is worthy to be worshiped. Last week our creator is worthy to be trusted. This week I might say our creator is worthy to be glorified. When we live our lives for his glory, intentionally seeking to bear his image in a clearer way, we are glorifying God. And as image bearers, we can glorify God in all of life. Please get that. You can glorify God for 90 minutes on Sunday morning in this auditorium. This is significant. Gathering on the Lord's Day for worship, it is huge. It is meaningful. It is glorious to the Lord. It builds up the people of God. Valuable. I'm all about what we're doing here. But this isn't the only place that you glorify the Lord. And it's not even the, the, the place that's somehow uh, you know, higher above all the others in glorifying the Lord. You glorify the Lord whenever you are walking out his calling as an image bearer, okay? So when you embrace your calling as a man and you embrace your calling as a woman made male or female, that glorifies the Lord. When you are acting in that way, it glorifies the Lord. When you bring order in your job, in your family, when you bring order in the church, when you bring order in your garage, it is glorifying the Lord because we are imaging him. 
Do you see that? Whatever we are doing here where we are bearing fruit, we are glorifying the Lord. That means all of life is an opportunity to display the glory of God as we do so intentionally. All of life is filled with meaning, is filled with purpose. When we start with God created me and we move to he created me in his image and we move to he created me as a male or as a female and he created me with purpose to multiply and subdue the earth and he created me with sustenance. He's gonna provide what I need starting with food to do that that. Now, I said people bear the image of God even after the fall. That is true. But there is something different about the Christian. Jesus died for our sins. He forgives our sins, and he declares us totally righteous. Our sins are placed on him on the cross. He dies as a sacrifice. He's buried. He's raised on the third day. And if you trust him, you are given new life. You are, your sins are forgiven. You're, you're given new life in Jesus. So when we trust him, we receive new life. All our sins are washed away. And we are declared right. That's called justification. We're declared right before God. Then what happens the rest of our life is this, you're only justified once. But what happens the rest of our life is we are, we are made more like him. We call that sanctification, meaning made more holy. But have you ever thought about this? The Bible says in Romans 8 that we are conformed to his image that what is happening in the Christian life is that we are conformed to the image of God. We were already created in the image of God. We distorted the image through, Adam and Eve distorted it through sin. We're born with a sinful nature. And then we distorted it through every sinful choice that we make. So we're distorting the image of God. But your whole Christian life is about more accurately reflecting the image of God. That's what he says. We are being conformed to the image of his son. Sanctification is spoken of this way. Listen to Colossians 3. I never thought about this before this week. Do not lie to one another, okay? See that you have put off the old self. Okay, this is all sanctification language. You had an old life. Now you're a Christian. Put that off with its practices, and, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So why don't lie? Because that's not being nice. Let's play together nicely. Don't lie because it harms other people for sure, but don't lie because you are being, you're being created into the image of your creator. You, you are looking more and more like your creator and your creator doesn't lie. He is light. He is not darkness. He is truth. He is not deception. And so the reason you put off lying or any sin and the reason you put on a new behavior by the grace of God, obeying him and telling the truth is because you're becoming more like the image. You're being, you're being uh, 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 shaped, renewed into the image of its creator. So the more we grow in Christ, the more we reflect our creator, the more we bear his image in an accurate way. The more I am a godly husband as created male, I am am reflecting the glory of God, the character of God to those who would be watching in a stronger way. As you as a female, uh, if you're married, the way you, you are a wife to your husband, the more you grow in godliness, the more you reflect the image of God as he created you female. The more you are a faithful worker where you are, uh, you are subduing, you are multiplying, you are taking dominion over your responsibilities. The more you do that faithfully, it's not just to get the employee of the month badge or to get the special parking place for the employee of the month or something like that. That's great. Do that. But it's because the more you do that, the more you take dominion, the more you bring order, the more you're responsible. You're reflecting your creator more and more and more. 
It's part of growing into holiness. Growing into holiness is not just checking off a list of to-dos. It's being conformed to the image of his son. It's looking more like Jesus. We were created to look just like God, but we sinned, and now we're being recreated to look like him. And here is the glorious, I'm done here. Here is the glorious, glorious good news. One day, we're, we're, all, we're all a poor reflection, you know, but we're getting better by God's grace. He's changing us. We're cooperating with his grace. We're putting off and putting on. And so we are getting to look more like him. But one day, one day, we're going to look exactly like him. We're going to image him perfectly again. And that is the great hope. This is what 1 Corinthians 15 says. It says, verse 49, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of of heaven, Jesus. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. He's talking about the return of the Lord, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Changed what? To bear the image of the man of heaven. Jesus is going to return. Our body's going to be resurrected and we are going to bear his image gloriously perfectly, flawlessly. In the meantime, there's a lot of work to do. (laughs) And in the meantime, we want to root ourselves in the scripture and say, God, you created me. God, you created me in your image. And I I may not feel like I look a lot like you, think a lot like you, act a lot like you, but I want to. Help me grow to be conformed to the image of your son more and more. Help me by grace. You've created me male. What does that mean? We'll look a little bit at that next week. But what does that mean? You've created me female. What does that mean? How can I reflect your glory in the gender you have created me with? What is my purpose? What is filling, multiplying, subduing, taking dominion? What does that look like in my daily activity? Starting right now, going home, preparing lunch. That's it. That's part of it. So how do I do that with joy? How do I do that for your glory? How do I do that not just in a prayer and a quiet time, but in whatever I'm doing, whether I'm bringing order by cleaning up a room, sweeping the floor, however I'm bringing order, whether I'm bringing order through a financial audit as a CPA, whatever you do, however I'm bringing order, however I'm bringing creativity, whether you're writing a poem, uh, whether you are painting uh, your living room, uh, whether you are gardening. Well, there's some good applications there. So start, it's, it's that time. So whether you are gardening, pulling weeds, that's in chapter three is weeds. We're going to get to that too. So whatever you're doing, how, uh, Lord, I want to do that intentionally for your glory and to image you purposefully because you are blessed me. You are blessed in that, verse 28 says. And how can I trust you for provision? You provide vegetation for me to eat. You provide a salad to keep me going. But broader than that, you provide all that we need for your mission and for your call. And one day you're going to return. Your bride is going to reflect you perfectly. And how glorious will that be? In the meantime, You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.